Welcome back everyone to R2Cast number 78. Today we have Emily Adicott Savo, which I think I've pronounced correctly, uh, which which is, I say at the start of every episode, don't I? I'm like, oh, this is going to be an interesting guest. And it, and, it, and it is, I say it every time because I mean it, because I probably wouldn't contact people if I didn't think it was going to be. But today's certainly a first. And I do have a question before we even kick off really for Emily, but I'll let Emily say hello. Emily, would you like to say hello to the listeners first? Hello. And happy new year. <laughs> yes, thank you. Happy new year to you as well. Happy new year. And hope, hope it's been a good Christmas. Um, I certainly knew I ate too much. I drank too much. And I, uh, yeah, <laughs> what it's for. Exactly. <laughs> Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Aplan Rural for that. Yeah, there's, there's, the reason that I'm saying is it's definitely a different episode because Emily's involved in, in a lot of production. There's cereals, there's uh, grapes, like there's a vineyard, a vineyard, which is going to be interesting. I'll be the third person we've had talking about wine, so we'll get into that at some point as well. But the first is definitely producing a product that I'm going to ask Emily how she pronounces it first. How would yeah. you pronounce the one that I'm talking about <laughs> beginning with Q then, Emily? What would you okay. say? So we call it quinoa when it's growing and then quinoa when we're selling it. <laughs> oh, that's fun. So quinoa when it's costing money and quinoa when it's making money. <laughs> so you like quinoa, but you don't like quinoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it, it's, do you know, I don't think there's a right and a wrong. And I know in um, Canada, I think they could call it Quinola or something. It's 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 pronounced totally differently in yeah. in other parts of the world. So I don't think there's a right or wrong. And then it gets more confusing because I also see rape in a lot of North America's canola. Yeah, oh yes. God, there's too many too many options here. Yeah, so yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> but I, I was always, oh God, I can't remember now. I was always quinoa, and then when I went to uni, I met um, there's quite a lot of vegans in my class, and they all ate it. And they were like, yeah. quinoa. And I'm like, well, they probably know more than me. So I changed <laughs> to quinoa. And then whenever I say quinoa, folk are like, it's quinoa. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I quite, I'm going to stick to that. When it's growing, it's quinoa. And when it's sold, it's quinoa. I'm yeah. stick to that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that later on, though, uh, Emily. Could you tell us a bit about your background? I mean, from what I understand, you're not the first gen on the farm. Um, so I'm guessing farming was maybe always around you, but was always uh, a sort of avenue you saw yourself taking. Yeah, so um, so on this particular farm, um, we were sort of going back to my 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 granddad. Um, so I think um, fourth gen um, started down in Devon, and then the family moved up. We are Dutch Cornwall tenants, uh, all of us, yeah. and the, the family moved up sort of late seventies, and it was. My, my uncle and my dad on a on the family farm working with my my granddad and this farm came up um another Dutch Cornwall farm and dad sort of tended for it and um and moved here I think it was 
84, 85. Um, And so, yeah, farming's in the blood. Um, But in all honesty, I wasn't kind of on my radar, um, probably until my sort of mid-20s when I um, kind of saw the light. (laughs) I thought, yeah, I want to do this. And uh, yeah, so definitely something I've been around all my life. What is that Dutch and Cornwall you're saying? Dutchy of Cornwall. So, so what was Prince Charles's um, land is now Prince William, uh, the the Duke of Cornwall. So, uh, yeah. So they this particular parcel of land is on what they call the Newton Estate, which is about five thousand acres. Was yeah. bought from. Um, uh, well, the, the sort of the estate is um, Lord was Lord Temples, and then the, he went bankrupt back in I think the early nineteen hundreds, and Dutchy stepped in and bought it and divided it into smaller farms, and uh, yeah, and so we're a, a tiny part of the the Dutchy estate, what they call the Dutchy estate, but right. uh, yeah. You say, you say tiny part, you certainly fit a fair chunk into that tiny part. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what size of area is it? Is We're 320 acres, right. um, surrounded by other Duchy of Cornwall tenants and, and some private lands. Well, it's very difficult, as everyone knows, to get more land. Um, I mean, prices around here for to buy land is in excess of £10,000 an acre, which I'm sure it is probably most areas of the country but uh and you know we've got uh tenants around us who are not planning on going anywhere so so yeah we have we're sort of stuck at 320 at the moment but yeah so trying to make the most of it (laughs) it's one of the biggest challenges i mean what's this episode 78 and god i wouldn't be surprised if 35 40 of them have been people that have had that tenancy challenge, buy-in challenge. To be honest, nowhere near that number will be in the buy-in challenge because it's just out of the picture. Like when you say yeah. 10 acre, what are you going to do with an acre? And who's got 10 grand? You know, so when yeah. you start working up to 100 grand and you're only considering 10 acres, which is a small silage field, you're like, geez, mm. this is just about impossible, you know? <clears throat> um, we've obviously given the viewers a bit of a hint as to what, is involved in the farm at the minute, Emily. But when your was it your dad and your uncle were involved? Was was it was it the same then, or was it different? Yeah. So when they moved to um, up from Devon, they moved to a place called Stratton on the Foss, and that was a, um, a sort of mixed dairy farm. And then when Dad moved here and and left his my uncle, um, started off as beef. Um, and arable so mixed and uh and then came out of beef probably late 80s early 90s and um was kind of making enough money for to pay the herdsman (laughs) and so right (laughs) that's enough um and so i've taken it on i took on the tenancy five years four or five years ago and uh so we're all arable um with the vineyard as well 
and I've just reintroduced livestock into the rotation, not, not my livestock, but sort of paired up with a local shepherd. So livestock are back in the rotation now, which has been the case for probably about three years. So, okay. Yeah. Is that through the whole arable unit or just certain parts of it? Yeah, through the, the yeah. whole arable unit and also the vineyard as well. So. Excellent. It's funny you mentioned the vineyard. I mean, we had, uh, you might have heard of these guys, Emily, uh, Tablas Creek. I had Jason Glass right. of Tablas Creek, which I think, I think I'm right in saying they're the first organic regenerative vineyard on the planet based in California. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, where you're obviously talking about sheep, they, they do have sheep, but they also have alpacas. Uh, mm. I just remember going to their website and like the second word was talking about alpacas. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> 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 that that sort of holistic integration of, of food production is is getting more popular and, and each side has massive benefits to each other that compensate one another you know it's just quite yeah quite interesting to see when folk are doing that so five years ago uh, you've taken on that tendency what was involved in doing that was it quite a simple transition or um they actually the Dutch you were very good that was uh so we've got there's certainly requirements that are met so one is that you've you've uh, earned 100 of your income through the farm, okay. so you can prove that you know your income is, has been through the farm of those five or seven years that you've taken it on, or or been involved. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got to have a business plan and sort of present them with a really just proof that you you've got plans and that you're not just gonna sort of sit there and do nothing and uh and then obviously just proof that you you're capable of doing it and that can be through experience it can be through degrees or you know agricultural uh degrees or qualifications and that sort of thing um and also that you've got capital in the farm so so um it was a few years of of working towards that and it was quite stressful in in the sense that you're always sort of quite conscious of the fact that if you stuff it up, it, you know, you don't want to stuff it up, right? But of actually, um, they were very good, and they they really worked with me to to make the whole transition pretty straightforward. So, yeah, it, it was really good. Yeah. And as as we mentioned earlier, uh, you've got cereals, you've got a, a vineyard, you've got quinoa, quinoa, whatever, whatever we know what we're talking about. Um, what made that be the choice? I mean, it'd be fair to say it's unconventional in the UK, you know. Um, what made that be the go-to? So when I took on, I was part, um, we, we, my husband and I, I had to sort of a little bit of a break from farming um, in my early or late, late 20s. Just had a bit of a, oh, I don't know what I want to do with my life, yeah. you know, do I want to farm, I'm on my own. It's quite a, uh, a moment of sort of thinking, is there other stuff I want to do? Let me go and try. And Anyway, I had a, a year or two off the farm uh, in which I met my husband and it's like, right, we're going to go back to the farm. Really need to start thinking about, we can't just carry on the way mum and dad have, have done it. So mum had a really successful B&B business and uh, alongside the, the farm and, and that worked really well. But I knew I didn't want to necessarily uh, 
carry on that uh, way of, of doing business. And so seeing that we couldn't grow in, in acres, we just kind of looked at premium crops that we could potentially grow. Um, and I'd been thinking and looking at, into it a lot. And, and during that time, we had our, our first daughter. She was showing some signs of um, sort of di digestive issues. So right, just okay. a bit of a funny tummy when she was eating. So we were like, okay, went through a process of elimination through her, her different food groups and, and experimenting with different foods. And one of them was quinoa. And I sort of looked at the packet and thought, oh, I wonder if we go over here, you know? And that was really the, I'd never used it or cooked it before or really heard of, from uh, about it. And so, and the other one was buckwheat. So we, I did a trial plot and I think that was in 2015 or no, 20, yeah, 2015. And the buckwheat was really difficult to grow, but the quinoa was, pretty good so so really that sort of came from that and I I uh I teamed up with the British quinoa company who were based based up in Shropshire and we um I spoke to them about you know potential contract growing and and then what the agreement that we've got is that I sort of contract grow for them and then I have I hold some back for myself which I sell locally to farm shops and delis and refill shops and that sort of thing so the the uh the idea was really just to find a premium product and and tie it in with the local environment really in the sense that we're very very lucky we're very close to Bath very close to Bristol both pretty lucrative cities very health conscious very into their local foods and um obviously you've got bristol who's a big into their sort of vegan vegan and vegetarian sort of cafes yeah. that sort of thing so yeah that was that was sort of like well actually you know right i think we've potentially got a market on our doorstep so so that's really where where that came from. So I've got my my eldest daughter to thank for that. <laughs> <laughs> and just out of interest, was the quinoa good for your daughter, or did, was it not good for her? Yeah, she. Was. Uh, they. It was until she didn't like it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuck at this, mum. <laughs> That's enough now, mum. <laughs> not every day. You yeah, know. for sure. <laughs> but my my um my youngest likes it and uh yeah no it it was a it, uh, the reason I kind of looked into it was because we were wondering actually if she might be a bit gluten intolerant so yeah. the nice thing about uh quinoa is it's like a pseudo grain so you can use it like wheat in the sense that you can mill it or bake it or flake it or just cook it um so it's it sort of will behave a bit like wheat um, but you you get the benefits of all that sort of stuff, with, you know, without gluten, really. Yeah. So, yeah. And when one thing I've not never considered it, I've just never really looked into it. What is the process in growing quinoa? Is it similar to cereals or is it totally different? Uh, well, it's a spring crop. 
So we put it in about sort of early mid-May, um, okay. plant it around the same time as maize. And um, and really, we it, it's a pretty low maintenance. We don't have any pesticide um, approvals. Uh, we wouldn't use them anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it has a little bit of nitrogen, but not a lot. And it, so it's fairly kind of low maintenance in the growing process, but but really it's it's planted and harvested along with the cereals. So yeah. it, it's exactly the same. The only difference is we really have to, to, to keep our gluten-free certificate. We have to just make sure that everything's really clean. So, so yeah. at harvest time, it's just cleaning down all everything, the, the dryer, the, the, the combine, the trailers, everything, the, the barn, to make sure that everything's just completely, we don't have any cross-contamination. So for a smaller farm like us, it's ideal because we actually have the time to do that. I think if you, you know, if you had a massive farm and were growing hundreds of acres of cereals, you wouldn't really want to faff around with with too much mm-hmm. quinoa in in that sense. So it kind of works well for us. What what time has that been harvested at? Is it this? It'd be pretty early if it was the same time. Yeah. Soon. I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, A Plan Rural. A-Plan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates, the UK over, and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm, from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years, or a fancy new and exciting diversification. Yeah, so we harvest, so it goes in in May, and we normally harvest around late August, early September. We've gone into sort of mid-late September before, but we don't. that's not ideal because obviously the longer it's, it's standing out in the field, you can get a sort of slightly grey appearance to the, the grain, which doesn't look very appealing. It doesn't really alter anything other than the appearance. So we try and harvest it when it's nice and bright, uh, a nice bright seed. That's a really short growing season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's quite, um, it, it's quite, it, depending on the varieties that you grow, so we grow there's three different varieties we've tried and it really depends which variety you grow as to how well it does we've we used to grow this lovely variety called atlas that was just a dream but it was quite a late ripening one and and so you'd have that as an issue but but once you put it in the ground it it gets away really nicely and uh you get this lovely dense canopy across the field which obviously bullies out any other weeds. So you actually end up with quite a nice clean field at at the end of harvest. Um, The only issue we have with it is fat hen. Uh, So fat hen is actually a cousin of quinoa. So they look really, really similar. In the first few years, I'd be out hand roguing everything. But actually, I don't stress so much about it now because the fat hen seed is tiny in comparison to the quinoa so actually you can you can clean it out pretty easily so yeah, okay. it, yeah it's not too bad but it just uh yeah I think fat hen likes to grow anywhere doesn't it but that that you know obviously that's always uh, probably the the biggest uh problem that we have but do you, do you put that through like a dresser or how, how do you separate them is it so it goes uh it goes up and gets clean with a 
gravity separator and also a optical sorter. So yeah, it's 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 really goes through sort of a couple cleaning processes, but that is all uh done through the British Cleanwell Company. So they that's all sort of sent off to them and then and then we get it back all nice and clean and yeah. Is the header you use on the combine the same as wheat? Absolutely, all the same. Um, we we just have to fiddle with the settings a bit more. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's uh, it's quite a light seed, so you don't want too much fan speed. Just, you can throw a lot of it out the back, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it. We we have um, the only thing that we've done differently in the last couple of years is I've bought a we used to have a Opico sort of tub dryer or cylinder dryer and that was the only issues that we used to have is that it's quite a the, the seeds that they're, they're very light but they're very dense um or you know you can pack a lot in in a, in a place and they've got almost like a static coating so what tends to happen is if you get them in a, a cylinder dryer you, they tend not to rotate very easily around. It's hard to, to mix yeah. them around. And you tend to get hot spots in the dryer. And I've had a couple of times when the dryer started smouldering. <laughs> it's just oh. keeps you on your toes. Um, it will do, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in the last couple of years, I bought a trailer dryer, which essentially is, is a, a great big grain dryer. There's not many of them in the country, and it has a... Um, a generator and a boiler at the front and you've got a, a sort of bar along the back with four agitators that sort of quietly move up and down mixing and actually that's worked brilliantly because it's uh it seems to just do a, a very thorough job so that's with less risk um so that's probably the only thing that we've changed um and and actually you know it it was sort of for the better because obviously last year we we, our dryer was on gas and the trailer dryer now is on is on runs through diesel so um i was quite pleased last summer to have got out of gas (laughs) but uh, that said we had a very dry summer didn't we so it wasn't too bad (laughs) i think everyone did to the point of almost detriment yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. What what sort of yield of quinoa do you get? And um, so for me, a good yield would be about anything upwards of two ton a, an acre. An That's acre. what I I'd want really. Um so um but then that cleaned is sort of brings it down uh, so you get sort of paid on a, a, a cleaned weight. So <laughs> So, so really, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think so. Realistically, one to one to two ton an acre would be sort of ideal. But you yeah. can, you know, obviously, depending on the year, get a bit higher than that. But yeah. No, but average year. No, interesting. And from the, I, I realised I'm not actually going to cover the cereal perspective the way I'm going because I'm so interested in other ones. Um, is it is it wheat and barley? You're growing or oilseed rape or yeah so wheat barley and our uh break crop is quinoa um and this year we're trying some beans and some winter linseed we've grown spring linseed in the past which i winter linseed this year and it's all looking good 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I for some reason, we've just got a lot of uh, break crops in this year. So we're, I was trying not to have all my eggs in one basket. We, I, I don't like to... A couple of years, I've grown kind of a, about 100-odd acres of quinoa, and, and they've gone well. But you're always just very conscious of the fact that if you get a bad year, yeah. <laughs> you've got too much in. So I'm trying to, I think I'm just getting a bit risk averse as I get older. But I, so I've got a couple of different other break crops just to try and sort of balance it out a bit. Mm. I think having them in different places is always good. There's the sort of, I think it was, um, who was it? Farmer Luke Ablett, Articast number 74, was like, sometimes you want to put everything into one and you're like, it'll go well this year, but yes. you never do it because it's too, it's just too high stakes. I know. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's great if you can pull it off, but... <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's one of those ones that could mean you could take on another farm, but there's also the probably bigger chance that it means you might have a problem keeping the current one. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a big gamble, a big, big gamble. Um. I, I, I can't I can't remember at the minute. Is the wine you produce Minerva? Is that right, Minerva? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's that's our first vintage is is Minerva wine. Yeah. Um, yeah, we planted that twenty fifteen, and so the it's still maturing, and we got our first vintage off it uh, in twenty nineteen, and those bottles are now for sale, and we've we've sort of. D- did a bit of a soft launch last year and so I manage the vineyard on a sort of day-to-day uh I do the sort of practical element of the the vineyard and then my husband because it's his kind of baby really he's it what I call the front of house so he does all the sort of marketing <laughs> and sales and that sort of thing much more suited for that and I'm much more <laughs> suited for not speaking to many people in this space <laughs> I stay in my lane, <laughs> which is so sat on a tractor and <laughs> yeah, solitary sort of days in the in the vineyard so it suits me quite well. <laughs> well. I mean, you've been speaking here; it's very good, it's very interesting. So uh, <laughs> certainly, if you enjoyed it, um, I'm going to ask a question that some people listening that know wine, and I know there's someone listening that wants to hear about this. Uh, uh, Brogan is someone that listens to the podcast quite often but really wanted to hear a a vineyard or a winemaker before hence my first original connection with that Tablas Creek so another one here which I'm sure should be very excited about but I'm going to ask you a question I obviously know what vintage means but what is the exact definition of what vintage means in wine? Uh, Well as far as I understand it's it's, that is the the first um your first, you know, produce from, ah, okay. from that year. Yeah, so that's your, so that's off. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. what I understand. I need my husband yeah. here. Like I say, I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do the, 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 the sort of practical stuff, but that, that's what, as I understand it. Yeah. What is, what is the practical side of, of producing a wine? So, uh, we planted it not really fully understanding we had no experience at all in in winemaking or grapes and so we totally learned on the job and uh so it we have bud burst which is when it all sort of comes to life in uh, late april 
Mm -hmm. And then it is just full on then until harvest in normally sort of end of October, beginning November. It is just a, a monster, really. I mean, it, it the, the vines grow. I, like I've, you've never seen anything grow like vines do in the season. It's just um, unbelievable. So literally the second they start, uh, they wake up. There's just always something that needs doing. So whether it's um, pruning in the winter or wire pulling, leaf stripping, uh, you know, trimming, um, what they call bud rubbing which is keeping the trunks clean there's there's just always something that that needs doing and it's just that just you know you'll walk away from it um for a couple of days thinking oh it's all up together you come back and like oh my god what's happened down here it's just (laughs) (laughs) and what 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 is the harvest process is it by hand is it it's all by hand so thankfully we have a really excellent team um of contractors that we use and so when it's all getting a bit much and I can't keep up with it I can call Alexis and he'll bring it down and and they and you know they're just phenomenal and they you know very skilled workers um most from sort of um Bulgaria Romania and they just work just phenomenal work ethic and skill so I'm really grateful for those guys because, you know, sometimes because, you know, the vineyard season clashes a lot with the with the farm. So so you can just get overwhelmed so quickly with the amount of work that needs doing. So we have a few community days um, on the vineyard. So sort of people come out and they help with leaf stripping, that sort of thing. But I've always got the contractors there as sort of backup if I need them, which is great. And when, when you say, you know, where those guys are from, is, is bricks a worry or do you think that's that's not going to be an issue? Um, yeah, I, it, I mean, the, it's more expensive for them to, to get around. So obviously that is reflected in their hourly rate. So it has become more expensive. And as I understand from the contractors, you know, they're very happy to, to, to keep coming over, but it's just harder for them. I feel sorry for them because where they'd be able to sort of nip back home for a couple of weeks and have a break, they're they're now, as I understand, sort of trying to come over and then stay over here for the season, and it they don't get much respite or opportunity to go home. I think it's harder for them, which just seems a bit unfair because they're here doing the hard work that we yeah. have the skills for, and and yet they're they're the ones who are being punished really, but. There you go. <laughs> no, well, it's true though. It's true. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that those costs are the you know the knock-on effect of those costs of uh, travel and uh, visas and that uh, then go are uh, passed on to the the growers, so it's more expensive. So yeah, it's a he- it's a pain. <laughs> it is, yeah, and it's a it's a worry for a lot of sectors in some ways for the sheep shearing to you know yeah. picking to everything yeah absolutely um yeah i always have a bit of a glance through folks like instagram pages and stuff like that and if you're listening and you think oh my god this is really cool i want to have a look let's fucking remember the name oh my god that's terrible i think i get it corsten no 
Kirsten it's Field. Farm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. With an underscore between uh, Kirsten yeah. Fields and Farm. Um, that's where I came across, uh, Emily. And then M Minerva Wine has its own Instagram as well. Is yes. that right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's Minerva underscore Wine. Right. So. So if you want to check out any of them, have a look. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I always I do have a bit of a peek at them. One of the things that I read in your um, your bio was it says wildlife nerd. And I was wondering if you've sort of got any sort of biodiversity measures in place on the farm or if you are just a nerd about wildlife. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so we are, uh, we've done countryside stewardship now for years and years. And um, we're just in the sort of arable uh they they call it the arable offers they call it the mid tier i think it is i get so confused with all these um <laughs> things that they have and they keep changing everything but i mean i'd like to jump on a, a a better scheme to to do more um but since we moved here well, i mean my parents did ever such a lot they put in uh well miles of hedgerows they put in a pond they've put in uh you know tree copses and all sorts of things and and I, I suppose I've taken on taken on the reins there in that sense where we just really enjoy just having untouched areas of of the farm I say untouched obviously they're managed in the winter and we I hate the phrase rewilding but we we have a sort of less to, less managed areas that we we tend to just sort of um dip in through the winter and just sort of maintain them but yeah we have sort of about three bands across the farm so i like to sort of see them as wildlife corridors so so they're sort of running along streams or right the, the width of the farm and they're they're just fairly untouched areas and we've got a, a really excellent guy who is a has just so much data from this area of of sort of he's a real i mean he is a proper wildlife nerd he's got every single bird and mammal and everything that and so i'm in frequent co contact with him and it's so lovely to hear oh you know i saw this today or that you know he's really excited at the moment because we've got a uh, little owl which is back and um it had sort of disappeared off the farm for a couple of years and it's back now and although they're not a native breed I, as I understand it from him that they are sort of um a good indicator breed so so mm -hmm. the, we, we know it's got a, a you know with the owls and and all the raptors and whatnot they're obviously being well fed by other mammals that are on the farm so it's just nice to know that there's a nice healthy um yeah. uh environment for for them all to to hunt and to breed i hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the r2 cast with another really interesting guest i would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today the scottish farmer and i would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry so, and why why do you not like the term rewilding? I just I just think it's a bit of a lazy term because I don't think anything I think you've still got to manage areas that are yeah. rewilded 
you know, they still need some help. And we don't have great wildebeest and wild mammals that are sort of managing the land for us. So you've got to, as a human being, get in there and manage the brambles and ma manage, just help help it along a bit. I, I, just, I just think that the term rewild just sounds, can be interpreted that you just walk away yeah. and leave it. And I, you can't do that. It still needs some management and some intervention, you know? No, I, I agree. I was quite, it's just that I laughed when you said it because I, I do agree with the whole, I don't really like the term. I was just wondering yeah. if it was. Um, I think, um, yeah, I was talking uh, to Jeff for Farm Food Life and he uses the term um, passive, passively managed. And I thought, yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's a good one. Some areas of the farm. <laughs> no, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. Now, you said you were more, more involved in the, I, I have one more question about the wine, more involved in the sort of farm side, if you will, uh, of, of the wine. Um, but how does distribution of the wine work? Do you sell just in the local area? We are at the moment. Uh, yeah. we've, we've literally just launched. So so we're just Ed's sort of getting out to restaurants and um, when we're selling directly, we've got an online shop uh, that we sell through. Um, but a bit like with the quinoa, really, we're, we're just, it's just mostly very local um, uh, stockists. And, yeah. It's, it's a very fancy bottle. I had to look at Thank it. Thank you. Very fancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah Ed did really well there. I was, uh, yeah, yeah, we paired up with a, a local artist, right. uh, Victoria Topping. She's got some amazing artwork, so it's worth having a look at her artwork. But she, yeah, right. but I absolutely over the moon with it. It re really chuffed. But yeah, it's like, all you know, with the King Warriors work, it's just getting out there and doing it and, and meeting people and getting... The, the product out there it it's almost a full-time job in itself so when you're yeah. sort of trying to do the farming and do the vineyards and do everything you know it, it's it it's stretched you know you're pretty stretched and then you're trying to do all these things and it all takes time and that's the, the beauty of uh social media is that actually you can you can plug away i'm hopeless at selling but you can plug away and people get to see what you're up to and see that what you're selling and uh it, you know it's a good platform for for getting your name out there and uh, yeah definitely it, it is it is a great platform as you say it's not for everyone it's not the easiest no. thing in the world to sell things but there, there's a lot going on staff wise is it just yourself and, and ed did you say i think um yeah so my dad uh bless him is retired but like hey, Every other retired farmer probably yeah. works most days. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do without him, actually. He's just brilliant. And uh, and then I've got, so my parents just live on the farm. They live at the end of the drive uh, in the farm cottage. And so sort of mum helped out with the, the kids, uh, you know, sort of steps in when, when I need a bit of childcare. Of, uh, but yeah, so Ed's sort of, office based I guess and and then it's sort of dad and I and we've got a, a local lad who comes and helps a bit but yeah I mean I, I love to be in a position where I had somebody a bit more full-time but it you know it's just so difficult first of all to find people but also 
I think for us, our work is so seasonal that actually it's finding work for people through the quiet months. Uh, you need them all the time in the busy months, but not so much in the in the quiet months. So it's 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 quite a a challenge to to find the right person for that, you know. And uh, you know, you end up doing stuff yourself, don't you? Because you just are, you know, by the time I've employed someone to do this, I just do it myself. But which is not sustainable at all. But and that, that's why we're so lucky with the contractors with the with the wine because I know they're just a phone call away. Kind of need that with farming in a sense. It's just that having a contractors for for farming that. I mean, I know there are contractors, but but more sort of labour focused contractors where you can actually you just need a driver for three or four days or something. It'd be great if you could just sort of have have people that you can ring up. But it's ever so difficult. I, I think it's, you know, if everyone's in the same boat where, you know, you'd love to employ people full time, but it's just not always viable. Yeah. And, and you're you're requiring someone really for a short period of time, which normally yeah. means they're there for a bit. And therefore, by the time you've got them trained to the level you need, you're like, oh, basically time to go. So, yes, uh, especially when you're maybe looking at employing one or two, you know, if it was like 50 folk, you wouldn't really care. But if you're, you know, when you're it's like a big decision it's this one person you want to make sure it's right don't you so um yeah, yeah. that's right yeah <coughs> you know, that's that's the sort of the worry there i assume um listen i got in touch i don't know how long ago what three weeks ago just before mm-hmm. Christmas, filming this yes in the new year should definitely know that it's the third um yeah uh, so for those of you listening it's probably been about five weeks since we filmed maybe four weeks um but it's one the second I found Emily's account, I'm like, perfect. <laughs> I, need to, I need, to learn, need to learn about quinoa and see, see what's yeah. up there. So, so that has been great fun. So thank you for that, Emily. But there's there's two two questions I end every podcast with. Um, the first one is, uh, where do you see yourself in five years? And the second one is, if you had any tips, and I don't even know how to ask this because you do so many things. Uh, if you had any tips for folk coming into farming, what would they be? Okay, uh, five years, probably, um, I'd like, there's some kind of conservation projects that I'd like, I've got lined up on the farm, so another pond on the other side of the farm, and and thinking about sort of wetland area that, making that more of a permanent fixture. Um, Then also with the vineyard, we're just beginning to start doing some events. So next year we've got a sort of stretch tent that we're putting up and do, just doing a few events just sort of for the public. And so I'm quite looking forward to sort of developing that side of things. Um, tips for coming into the industry, goodness me. Uh, I think probably, do you know, I get contacted a lot by people just saying, can I come and do some work experience or do that? And I think that is just a great idea, you know, and I think it, it's, you just, you know, if you don't have much experience, just just write to your local farmer and just ask for experience. I think we, you know, we, we all need to give people a helping hand into the, into the industry. I think, you know, it's quite shocking when you see the average age of, 
farm is just it's not like 50 or 60 I yeah, think that, you know <laughs> yeah it's quite scary and I I I do sort of feel like we've all got a bit of a responsibility to help youngsters in um and so I think it would be just to to just hassle your your local farmers and and see if you can get experience because I think that's that's ultimately the best way to learn isn't it really yeah oh, yeah and and it's it's I asked, I've asked that question to every single person <laughs> that I've ever yeah. interviewed and that basically what you've said is what just about every single person says really just go for it yeah just jump in say hello to someone say can I come and help you for an hour and then see what happens you know and then if it doesn't work with them say it the next one and then the next one you know and and that that seems to be the best way in and I I originally started this podcast uh, someone had got in touch with me in June 2020 yes COVID year um saying like how do you get into farming and I'm like well I'm in no position to answer this you know my my I'm third generation on a farm I'm not there anymore but my my parents farmed 2,000 acres and own about 40% of it. It was just, I was just there. I didn't even want to do it. And I got into it, you know, at first. So I was like, oh, this isn't fair. Let's start speaking to people. And hence why this all started. And, and that is what everyone says. So hence why I ask that question. Um, so yeah, good tips. And, and, and everyone says the same, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think also what I would say is I, I think, um, the kind of uh, grumpy farmer thing is a bit of a hard. I, I mean, from my experience, farmers are so encouraging. And I personally, I don't know one farmer that wouldn't really encourage a young person into farming, you know. And, and I think on the whole, farmers are very good at sharing knowledge between each other, between neighbours to other people. I think we're pretty good as an industry at not seeing each other as competition. And I th that I think is pretty unique. Um, I don't know that many industries would be like that really. Um, and so, I think, yeah, I think, um, you know, we're, we're th the, there's a lot to learn and there's a lot of people that are willing to, to give their knowledge so yeah yeah it's definitely and it's quite positive I mean in my line of work I see it see everyone that wants to pass that knowledge on you know you meet people that want to take apprentices on you meet apprentices that want to get taken on you meet and it's it's yeah, it's rewarding it's and, and and like you say I don't know if every industry is like that I can really comment but I would be surprised if it was quite as good um, yeah we are pretty good at it but uh, yeah. no Hugely appreciate you coming on, Emily. It's been really interesting. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no, not at all. Fear enjoyed it. Fear enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you have as well. <laughs> um, for those of you listening, I'm sure you will have enjoyed today. Obviously, last week we had uh, Ben Cross of Crosslands Farm in Brighton talking about Alstroemeria. So in the last two weeks, we've had Alstroemeria a flower <laughs> really not up on that side of things that was a part for me and uh, today quinoa so we're really sort of going outside the box both in the uk which is also very cool uh not next week well yeah next week we'll have Biza walters who you may recognize from adventures of a shepherdess on instagram and on monday before Biza, we've got another group podcast with jane craigie marketing up in scotland the company started in 2004 from memory trying to sort of market rural uh 
companies in well in the rural sector funnily enough um, and Jane's original plan was to not really have any employees and now 18 years on she certainly does uh, with quite a large client base as well so that was a really interesting one you mentioned marketing throughout Emily this was sort of how you can market how you can market a company so maybe if you're starting a business or you're wanting to get your word out there that's a good one to listen to which will be 79 but we'll see you on Monday for that and we'll see you next Friday for Bizza thank you very much Emily and thank you for listening everyone and we'll see you next week I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far, and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen, and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.